listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heartsease Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. Praise the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It's nice to be with you again this morning. It's a sort of an annual pilgrimage for me. I'm a family. Every year we come over here, so it's nice to be back with you again this morning. I was pastoring last time I was here, pastoring in in Philip's home church uh, with the Pimlot family. And as you know, that that has come to an end. I've I've finished my two years and a bit or whatever, so I'm back on, on the road again. Uh, just Kathy said to me before I came up, I don't have a DVD or anything with me this morning just to show you what's been going on this last while, but I'm just back from Pakistan, so I'm not really sure what time it is. My body is, is sort of some, is here, but I'm not sure where my head is. And so I thought I'd, I'd relax last night and, and enjoy just sort of uh, three and a half hours. How can you have three and a half hours of a football game? Tell me, how can you do that? I watched it from beginning to end. It's the first time I've ever, well, I went once to Tuscaloosa to watch Alabama play Auburn. That's when my friend Coe, who many of you know, uh, he's a big Bama fan. So uh, I, I haven't talked to him yet since last night, but uh, I will later on today. But I watched that, and it's three and a half hours. And I, I've been, I, I mean, how many adverts do you see in that? I mean, I mean about a hundred. Did uh, my English friends, did you watch the football last night? Did you watch that? Were you struck by the amount of adverts that there were and Verizon? And, and it's crazy. In a soccer game, you can watch a thing from beginning to end with no adverts. It's just bliss. It's, it's just fantastic. So I'm not sure about that LSU flag in heaven. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, maybe it's there. I'll, I'll look out for it when I get there. All right. But uh, that was interesting last night. But so my, my body doesn't know where it is with all this sort of time lag because uh, Pakistan is, is, is five hours different from the UK and then there's another six and the clocks went back last night. We were in Florida the day before and I was in Abu Dhabi and, and I just got confused. I don't know what time it is or where I am at the moment, but we had a wonderful time. I know many of you pray for us. My ministry is called the Joshua Project and uh, I brought out a couple of lads with me. I brought a guy from an LSU fan, <laughs> interesting, from Patterson. And I brought a Bama fan, Co, my friend from uh, Alabama. They came with me to Pakistan, and we had a fantastic time. I went there for a simple reason. Earlier on this year, I was sitting in my office in, in NFLC in, in Norwich, and uh, news came through that uh, the only Christian MP in Pakistan had been assassinated. I don't know if any of you watch any world news, but there was only one Christian MP in the nation. It's an Islamic republic, as you know, and he had been assassinated. So I got on to my friends in Pakistan, and the way that had affected the church was, was uh, amazing, the discouragement that it was for them. Incidentally, when I was there two weeks ago, the MP, why, why he was assassinated was that he was taking up the case of a lady who had been put into prison, uh, a Christian lady. And I just found out a couple of weeks ago, she was killed in prison uh, just about two weeks ago, the, the, the lady that he was standing up for. So it's a tough time in Pakistan. So I went out with these two guys, and they said to us, you'll be all right, so long as um, people kept sending me emails about Lahore, where I went to, with dengue fever, uh, 13,500 people infected with it. So don't go there. So that's where I went. They said, you'll be all right as long as you don't, don't do any open-air meetings. So we, nearly all our meetings were in the open-air. And uh, it was very exciting. But, you know, the reason I went was just to encourage the church. So I had a conference for pastors. They expected 200. 473 turned up. And I had an amazing two days just speaking into the lives of the leaders in the north there in Lahore, in Pakistan. And what a blessing that we had. Then we did some meetings out in different areas of, around that Punjab area. And on the first evening, call people for salvation. And I don't know how many there were, but about a thousand people stood up to find Christ. And it was wonderful just to see people surrendering to the Lord. But the thing that really impacted me was this, was the young people 
God's been speaking to me over this last while. I turned 50 this year. Kathy and I both turned 50 this year. Quite a, a, not, not, a, not a big incident for us, but God started to speak to me very clearly over these last few months, and it's changed my life. And it's this, is that there comes a time when we've got to, those of us who are older, start pouring our lives into those that are younger. And so God's been impressing on me that wherever I go to speak to the young people. Now, I don't know what a young person is because I still think I'm young. But I I guess a young person, I'm talking about a teenager, a child or a teenager or somebody in their 20s. Maybe getting up to the age of 30 is when you start to get a little bit older. I don't know. I don't want to insult anybody this morning. I don't know how old you think you are. But I'm thinking of people below the age of 30 who we need to be seeing God raise up to a new level because they will see things that I have never seen. They will experience the miracles of God that I've never experienced. Many I have, but they'll see new things. And so I want to see something happen. And so what God spoke to me as I was preaching, or just before I started preaching on one night, God showed me something from the word I was about to preach. And it was a wonderful experience. And so I shared it with the people and the young people responded in their droves. We saw young people come forward everywhere just to to surrender their life to Christ. And not just to surrender their life to Christ, but to, to be used in whatever way he wants them to use. The last meeting I went in was, was a, a long drive to it. I, I don't know where it, where it was. Sir God, I think it was called. But we, when we got there, we had to wait until the security came. So I had three guys with AK-47s, which is pretty normal when you preach out there. I always have two guys beside me with submachine guns while I'm preaching. But this guy, he got on the back of his little motorbike, and so he was facing us with his, with his gun as we were driving towards this place where the church would be. And when I got there, sitting in the pastor's home, the police rang in to see who, who is this guy, this Mr. Kingsley who's on the posters. They advertised that I was from South Africa because it was too dangerous to say I was from the UK or from America because Pakistan is very upset with America because they didn't ask permission to go in and, and, and kill Osama bin Laden. And so there's this anti-American and, and uh, Western feel there so that they were wanting to know who this guy was. And since we came out again, they, they've been questioning the pastor to know why he's had these British guys. I never saw a white guy. I didn't see anybody Western at all in my time out in these places. And so people watch you as you're going past and strange experience. Uh, to, to see what's going on and, and to preach with, with that sort of pressure. One 17-year-old guy I talked to, this young lad, wanted to share his testimony with me, went to school, the only Christian in his school. And the guys came together in his year and said, if you don't, uh, if you don't recant or rec- go away from Christianity, become a Muslim, you'll be dead. We're going to kill you. And so this young, beautiful young boy had to give up his school and go to a different one. And the Christians are made to live in certain areas on their own. But when, when at the, in that last meeting, every young person in the place responded without fail. Every young person came to the front to surrender their life to the Lord and to be used. And I thought, wow, God, what a privilege to be able to stand here and to see this happen and to see these young people who many of them will have to lay down their life for the Lord. Some of them will not be there perhaps the next time that I visit. So it was a wonderful privilege to be there. So thank you for praying for us. A very tough time. Physically, it was very, very tiring. When we go back from here in a couple of, we're here over here for another three weeks. I go back to Ghana. I was there in January. Many of you know that I go to Ghana every year. But God's done some wonderful things for us. I was speaking at a parliamentary meeting in January. And in the middle of this meeting, they asked us if we would come back. Uh, in December. And so I'm going back on my own in December. And on the 18th of December, I have another parliamentary banquet that I'll be hosting and and speaking to the leaders of the nation. And then on the 20th, they have their national carol service, which is broadcast across the nation. And they invite uh, all the leaders. The president will be there, vice president, all the leaders of the nation. And they've invited me to speak at that. And I thought, wow, God, what a wonderful privilege. To, have, to be able to do that. So thank you for those of you that pray. I do appreciate that. It's a whole new ball game for us, stepping out by faith again. And, and so we've got to trust God. But God is faithful and he is true and, and he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think or imagine. I want to share this morning from a scripture. If you've got your Bible, please follow along. If you can follow it, if you can do it on the, over, on the screen overhead, uh, sorry, I'm talking a bit out of, uh, on the video projector, then please follow along as well. I want to read from 2 Kings chapter 4, from verse 8 to 37. And it's the story of the Shunammite lady who was given a son. 
If you have your Bible, please follow along and ask God to speak to you this morning that he would, would uh, love, love a good guy. That's wonderful. Maybe we'll read it from the, the screen. Can you follow that through verse by verse? Is that possible just to go wonderful? Let's read it. To, I'll, I'll read it to you, but follow it on the screen. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8, and it's the whole, the rest of the chapter. Now, it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman, and the, they, she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, Look, now I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please, let us make a small upper room on the wall, and let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand so it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. And it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. Then he said to Gehazi, a servant, call this Shunammite woman. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he, and he said to him, say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander, to the army, the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell amongst my own people. So he said, what then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. So he said, call her. When he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. But the, but the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come of which Elisha had told her. And the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father to the reapers. And he said to his father, my head, my head. So he said to a servant, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. So he said, Why are you going to him today? It's neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, It's well. Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? She answered it as well. Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So she said, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready. Take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him, but lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, saying, the child has not awakened. When Elisha came unto the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite woman. So he called her. And when she came in to him, he said, Pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground, and she picked up her son and went out. And we'll finish there at verse 37. 
This is a fantastic story, and I pray that, that you'll hear God speaking to you this morning, and maybe God will say one or two things to you. But for me, this story, it contains so many beautiful things about God that he can share with us this morning, and I hope it will be an, an encouragement to you. Shunammite, the Shunammite lady, she lived in a place called Shunem. Shunem means that the meeting of two, two resting places. And on one direction, if you looked from her house, if you looked on one direction, 15 miles across the plain of Estralon is Mount Carmel. On the other direction, if you look the other way, across the valley of Jezreel is Mount Gilboa. And if you look in in one direction and you see uh, the place called Mount Carmel, that was the place where Elijah had the greatest victory that was ever seen. When the fire of God fell down from heaven, she could look one direction and see that. But on the other direction, Mount Gilboa was where Saul and his sons were, were killed. One of the greatest defeats that the, that the Israelite army had ever experienced. So this lady lived in the meeting of, of two places. One of the things that, that the lady who's doing the Sunday school said this morning, she said, you've got a choice when you get up. This lady, every day she got up out of bed, she could either look one direction or she could look the other. She could look to where the greatest victory ever was or she could look to where the greatest defeat ever was. And as children of God this morning, we have a choice. Every morning we get up, we can decide to either live in victory or we'll live in defeat. It's entirely up to you. And it's up to me. I can count my blessings and name them one by one. And it'll surprise me what the Lord has done. Or I can look at how miserable I am. Thankfully, it's difficult for me to look that way because of the places that I go to and see much, so much poverty. It's very easy for, to, for me to be thankful for the things that I have. It's, it's a blessing that the things that are given to us. Now, what I want to look at this morning is I want to ask you a question. What effect this miracle had on this woman's life. And I want to ask us a question in that same light, is that if God were to answer our deepest heart's cry and our prayers, would we be ready for what would happen? When God, when we we pray prayers to God, and many of us will have done it, I said to the Lord many, many times in, in the past, Lord, I surrender all. We used to sing that song, didn't we? I surrender all, all to thee, my precious Savior, I surrender all. And God hears those commitments that we make to him, be it one year, two year, 25 years ago, God never forgets the commitments that we made to him. And this lady will have prayed to God many times, God, I want a son. Because in the, in the culture that she lived in, for her not to have a child was almost, a, it was a disgrace for her. She needed to be producing a child and something was wrong. There was something not working right. No children. And so she prayed, but she'd given up praying. You can tell that because when Elijah comes along and says to, Eli- to Gehazi, go and ask her, Elisha, sorry, go and ask her what her needs are. She says, I've no needs. I live with my own people. I'm blessed. But Gehazi says she doesn't have a child. And so Elisha comes over and says, this time next year, you'll be holding a child. Her immediate response is, oh, come on. Come on. Don't you realize what you're saying to me? I've settled this issue. I've cried, I've cried till there are no tears left. It's been month after month after month after month. Nothing's happening year after year. I've already settled that one. Stop messing about with my emotions. You don't know what you're saying. You're a man, you're evangelist crawling around the country all the time. But I've got to live with this every day. I've got my neighbors look at me. They know I don't have a child. Don't mess about with me, man of God. But he says, listen, this time next year, you will be holding a child. And so she gave birth to a child. And I want to to just share some things with you this morning that this brought to her life. The first thing it did, it brought change into her life. And if God answers your prayers, it will bring change into your lives. Some of the change you will enjoy, some of the change you might not enjoy. It brought change to her family. What was two had now become three. What a lifetime of desiring from her own point of view, God did in a stroke. Real change to her family. Brought change to her routine. How many of you know that when a child comes along, your routine changed? Anybody got had a little child recently? You know what happens suddenly. Oh my word, you don't know whether you're awake or you're asleep. She said, it's your turn to get up. Now you're breastfeeding. You got to do it. Get out of bed. And everything changes when you have a child. Your routine changes. Brought changes to her prayer life. 
This was an answer to an old prayer. Next time the prayer requests were being handed in a church, she's going to write one out. Why? Because God answered her lifetime prayer for a child. It brought changes to their finances. She was described in the Bible as a well. The NIV describes her as a well-to-do woman. I think now she should be described as a well-to-don't woman. Because I think when you get children, how many of you know that pressures come on your finances when you've got children? And they tell me that it never stops. So just enjoy that. Life changes when you have children. Your finances will change. Change to their priorities. This man, her husband, I don't know how he'll have got on with this, because all of a sudden this woman lived for her husband. Now there's a little child crawling about the place. He's not so important anymore. The little child is. A change to the relationships. No more late night partying. Babysitters are needed. And a change to their future. Someone to hand the farm on to. But you know what it was? God gave this woman seed. And when God started to speak to me about young people and about how it's always been God's design for us to reproduce and to have children and children then to carry on. It's always been God's design. That's why we have two of the greatest uh, massacres in the Bible, the slaughter of the innocents when Jesus was born. And Herod said, kill them all. You had the same earlier on in Pharaoh's day when Moses was saved. Kill them all. And you have the same today with abortion. The rate is horrendous. Kill them all, as many as you can. And, and the devil will always try and destroy seed because he knows that it's much easier to destroy seed than it is to destroy a harvest. Because once a harvest has come, the multiplication has already happened. So he'll try and destroy seed. That's why when people respond to Christ, some people, the seed falls on ground and it's snatched up immediately because the enemy wants to take it away. The commitments that you've made this morning already in this service, they will be challenged this afternoon. And they will be challenged tomorrow morning because the devil knows that if he can take away a seed before it, it turns into a harvest, then he's only got to grab one, not a hundred. And that's why I'm committed to seeing young people raised up whose vision will be to serve God and to lay down their lives for God because young people can do far more than I can do. Because I was younger, there's certain things I've discovered in life that when you become older, certain things that you can't do as well. Now, I can still, I still run. I went round LSU next yesterday morning, and nobody passed me on the way around. And there were, there were loads of people running around there. I can still run, but I guess I'm getting slower than I used to be. There's certain things. I remember, I don't know if any of you have done this when you get older. I remember running a tent crusade over in England a few years back, and I was in charge of it. And there were, I ran down to it one morning and tried to jump a fence and missed. Have you ever done that? I tried to jump over this fence and my foot caught in it. Well, I looked totally stupid. Do you know what I was concerned about? That nobody saw me because my pride was hurt. But I found that my legs don't lift as high as they used to 10 years ago because we're getting older. I would say, Philip, you're just not there yet, but... Hey, you'd never know. It may happen one day. Maybe not. Maybe it's the eternal youth that you've discovered, and, and maybe it'll not happen for you. But God wants to see. When God answers your prayer, change will come into your life. That's the first thing I want you to acknowledge this morning. The second thing is this, is that when God answered this woman's prayer, confusion came into her life. Confusion came into her life. Now, let me, let me say why this is. You see, she got the answer to her prayer. And this little boy, he grew into a little helper for his dad, was out helping in the field one day. He gets his head, gets sore, and he runs in. His, his dad says, carry him into his mother, sits on his mother's knee, and dies. And she is confused. And so she says to her husband, get me a donkey. I'm going to take this boy to the man of God. Doesn't even tell her husband what the problem is. He doesn't even know that the boy has died. But she's confused. And when she gets to the man of God, she says to him in verse 28 of 2 Kings 4, Did I ask you for a son? And I, I mean, if Elisha was being honest, he'd have to say, sorry, actually, you're right. Did I ask you? Now, have you ever had anything given to you from God and you thought it was the answer to your prayer? Maybe you got a new job and four weeks down the road you lost your job and you, you'd already given testimony that God had answered your prayer. Or maybe something you were serving, wanting to serve God in some way, and some sickness came on you, whereby you couldn't fulfill that. And sometimes confusion comes into our lives. 
And we ask God, what's going on? The woman was confused. But let me tell you, not only that, Gehazi was confused because she went to the man of God. The man of God, Elisha, said to Gehazi, take my staff, go and lay it on the boy. So he runs to the boy where, where she lives and lays the staff on the boy's face and nothing happens comes back to Elisha and says nothing happened. Gehazi's confused because he's doing what his boss told him to do. He expected the boy to rise from the dead. But he's confused. Now let me ask you this morning, have you ever been confused by what God has been doing or seems to have not been doing in your life? Let me tell you this, that when you decide to serve God, there will be even more times of those confusions. Now, I don't want you to sort of come and say, well, I received confusion this morning by faith. It's not something I'm offering you as a gift today. But let me tell you, there will be times when you'll say, God, I don't know what you're doing. Because God is not obligated to tell you how he's working things out in your life. You don't know what's around the corner, but God does. But let me want to bring it a little bit further. Because it not only brought confusion to the woman and to Gehazi, it brought confusion to Elisha. Because in verse 27, as this woman is coming towards him, he says to his servant, he says, The woman is in obvious distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me. Now that might mean nothing to you this morning. But Elisha's ministry was, he was a prophet. What did a prophet do? A prophet took the hidden things from God and revealed them to people. That was his job. He was a revealer. He took the things that God was the the property of God in God's mind, and he explained them to the people. That was his job. That was his ministry. And here he is confessing to his servant, God, there's something wrong with this woman. I'm the revealer of all mysteries. I'm the one from whom nothing is hidden. But God... God has hidden this from me. It brought confusion to him. Because this is the first time in Elisha's life that he's experienced this sort of confusion. But it all happens because God is answering a prayer. And so what I want to share with you this morning is that when we decide to serve God, there are some times when we are confused. There are some things that Kathy and I are really confused about at this moment in time at what God is doing in our lives. I'm confused. I don't understand it. But I do know who's in control. He is in control. It brought confusion. The third thing is, it brought challenge. It brought challenge, first of all, to the man of God. Now listen, watch this. For those of you who are in ministry, for those of you who have ever served God in some form of ministry, listen to this. Elisha was the man of God who, do you remember when he was given his commission from Elijah and he followed him before Elijah was taken up to heaven? He went through those different places and wouldn't leave Elijah. Elijah said, go home on several occasions. Elisha says, I'm not going to leave you. And Elijah said, what do you want me to do for you? He said, I want a double portion. And Elijah said, if you see me as I depart, when the chariots of fire took him up to heaven, if you see me, then God will grant you your desire. And God did grant him his desire. So he knew what it was. He walked away from that place. A few men called him baldy guy. And he called out these bears came and ate them up and people poisoned food. He He blessed it and it became good food to eat. He was an amazing man of God. But here he is coming to God and saying, God, I don't know what's going on. It brought confusion. And so when you turn on to to verse 33, he goes to the woman's house. He sees this boy. The boy's up on the bed. He goes upstairs, closes the door behind him and the boy. There's only him and the boy. Now, what is the boy? Okay, he's a child. But what is he to Elisha? To Elisha, he is the answer to his words. The woman didn't ask for a son. He said his words were, the prophet's words were, this time next year, you will hold a baby boy. And here's the baby boy lying dead before him. This is his ministry. This is where it has come to. All that he's worked for and experienced and led towards is lying dead on a bed in front of him. This is the ministry that God had called him to as a prophet of God who knew the mind of God. He didn't even know what was happening. God had hidden it from him. And there is his ministry lying dead on the bed. What is he going to do? And here's the challenge that came to him. 
God challenged him. He saw the boy. And the Bible says he stretched himself on top of the boy, eyes to eyes, mouth to mouth, hands to hands, total identification with his own vision. He lies on that bed. But one of the things that God showed me about it that I hadn't seen before, in, in the Bible, in the verse that we looked at, it says that he stretched himself out on the boy. But when you look at the boy, let me ask you, what size was the boy? When he was with his father, his father said to his servant, carry him to his mother. Then he sat on his mother's knee until he died. The boy isn't six foot five. He's not a basketball player or he doesn't play for LSU. This is a little kid. He's still a kid. Elisha, we don't know much about him physically, but we know he's a fully grown man. We know he was bald. That's all we know. Bible doesn't tell us anything else. Doesn't tell us he was a midget or he was in one of the dwarves. Doesn't tell us that. All it says about him is that he, he was grown. So here's my question. Why would a fully grown man have to stretch himself out on a little boy? So it's not talking about physically because it would, it would need to say he contracted himself because the boy is smaller than him. So to go eyes to eyes, mouth to mouth, hands to hands, he'd have to make himself smaller to fit on the boy. So it's not talking physically. It says he stretched himself out. He had to come to the place where he was stretching himself spiritually, stretching himself where his whole ministry was dead on the bed in front of him. And God was challenging once again, will you get up on this ministry, your words? Will you identify with what I spoke to you years ago? And will you see life come back into that ministry once again? Or are you going to stand there and start picking some funeral hymns? It's up to you. So he climbed up on the bed, stretched himself out over the boy. And the interesting thing is, after he did that, it says he got off the bed and walked around. But it says that the boy's body became warm. And the only one who would have experienced that would be Elisha. He couldn't have went out to a friend. He couldn't have rung up some prayer line and said, hey, the body's warm. They could not say, yes, you're right, it is. He didn't have a thermometer and run around people and let them look at it. He just felt it in his body. It was something that he felt. And sometimes in the ministry and what God has called us to, you are the only one between you and God who makes the difference between you and your future. Because there are times when you have to stretch out in God and say, God, I am going to make this count. I'm going to make my life and my ministry count for you, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. I remember one of the first times I met, well, it was big O then, but you had a T-shirt. You brought a whole load of T-shirts, and it said, Gone Fishing. Do you remember that over in Norwich? I remember. And that's the first thing that comes into my mind when I see it, because, I, yeah, I remember those T-shirts, Gone Fishing. And God did some tremendous things in, in those camps. It brought challenge here to the man of God, total identification. Are you still with me this morning? Just stay with me, please, because I believe it's so important. A great stretching. Maybe this morning here in this place, some of us need to hear this word. We have to stretch out to what God told us to do and hold on to what God has told us to do. Philip's telling me that a lot of the time in this, in the, here over in America, that a lot of church growth, I think you were saying 80% of church growth in America is either people with babies born in or transfer growth from another fellowship. So people are running around, running around, trying to find a church, trying to find a place. And often they're running from themselves. It's not a pastor. It's not a such. It's themselves. It's what God has told us to do. I can't run away from what God told me to do. I was brought up in the Methodist church in Ireland years ago. And God challenged my heart as a young teenager to serve him. And that's when I made my commitment to serve him. And God reminds me about it, uh, not, not every day, but regularly. Over this summer, what Kathy and I have done, we finished pastoring now out in a new new phase of our lives. We took the month of July to uh, just spend time with God. All we did, we went over to North Wales to Kathy's parents, and I spent a month going through prophecies, 28 years of prophecies. I've kept them on in little scraps of paper, typed them all off, produced 14 A4 pages, letter-sized pages, in a little booklet for me just to see what God has said over the years. A very hard experience, a very cleansing experience to try and find what God, what is it you've told me to do? What am I allowing myself to drift into? But what have you told me to do? Stretching out over what God has said. Say, God, that belongs to me. 
So when I travel to the countries I travel to, they belong to me. Ghana belongs to me. When I speak at that carol service and parliamentary meeting in December, I will speak like I own the country. And because I speak that way, they receive what I say. Because it's something God has given to me. It's not arrogance. It's got nothing to do with me. I'm totally unimportant in the whole thing. But God's ministry isn't important because it's not my ministry. It's His ministry. And your ministry doesn't belong to you. Your church doesn't belong to you. It belongs to Him. But there are times when we have to stretch out into what God has called us to do. Now, let, let me give you one more point here that for me is very important. Turn on to Second Kings chapter 8. Could you do that at the back as well, please? Just put up the first few verses of, of Second Kings chapter 8. Four points I want to bring to you this morning, all beginning with C. When God answered her prayer, it brought change into her life. It brought confusion into her life. It brought challenge into her life. But the last thing I want to say is this, is that it brought commitment into her life. Now, let me just read this to you. I'm sure you'll know this story, but actually, I'll not take that for granted because I shared on this somewhere else and someone came up to me and said, I never knew that that chapter was in the Bible. So let me read it to you. This is a little time, well, quite a few years later. Then Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go, you and your household, and stay wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. So here we're talking seven years at least later. So the woman arose, did according to the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household and dwelt in the land of the Philistines seven years. It came to pass at the end of seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines and she went to make an appeal to the king for her house and her, excuse me, and her land. Then the king talked with the Gehazi. This is as she's walking into the place. The king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, please, all the great things Elisha has done. Now it happened. I love the way the, the Bible says that. It happened. As he was telling the, the king how he had restored the dead to life, that there was, the, there, there was the woman whose son he had restored to life, appealing to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, now you have to read this the way it is. This is seven years later, seven times 365. That's about two and a half thousand days later. And this is the only time, the only day, the only moment of the day that the king was going to ask this question, so could you work it out? This is like winning your national lottery or whatever, one with one million chance to one. one. So as, as Elisha is telling this story, he must have said, Oh, my Lord! Oh, King, this is the woman! I think he'd have said it like that. And this is her son, whom Elijah, I can't believe it! I'm just telling you this story. Lord, it was, it was years and years ago. That is her. I'm sure she's a bit older, but I'm sure that's, that's the boy. That's the very one that Elisha raised back to life. I can't believe it. Now look at what happens after this. The next verse. When the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed a certain officer for her saying, Restore all that was hers and all the proceeds of the field from that day the day that she left the land until now. My fourth C is this, is commitment, but not your commitment to God. See, the commitment's already been made. Some of you have committed your life to God years ago. Some of you committed your life to God when you were a child. Some of you have been serving God faithfully year after year after year. I want to tell you something, that when you commit your life to him and when you're serving him, God says, I'm going to commit my life to you. So this isn't your commitment I'm talking about. This is God's commitment to you. Now, after seven years of living, getting away from a famine, and she comes back on that very day, God arranges for the king to be bored. He's fed up and wants to ask Gehazi a few questions. So he arranges for Gehazi to be in the place where he needs to be so the king can ask him a question. He makes sure, and it's at the very moment in the day, and it's not going to take very long for the lady to walk into the palace or wherever she meets the king. There's just one moment. That might be a five-minute window that had to happen on that particular day, two and a half thousand days later. So you can't work this thing out. What I'm saying is that God was so committed to this woman 
that he said, I'm going to look after you all the days of your life. Goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life, and you'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we can trust God today. Let me tell you this. When we commit our life to him, God commits his everything that he has, all of the resources of heaven are committed to us so that we can fulfill what he calls us to do. There's not a chance in the world that, that, that it'll, go, it'll go belly up because God will look after you. When I went out to Pakistan a few weeks ago, some folk were nervous at me going, I have people sending me emails about this dengue fever. When I got to the hotel, I stayed and all the windows are shut. There's a lovely swimming pool there, but apparently the dengue mosquito likes nice clean water, so it was empty, so I couldn't use the pool and all, all closed. But 13,500 people infected there. Several hundred had died. So all these people sending me emails. I'm thinking, what are you sending me these blessed emails for? I don't need them. They're not doing me any good. And that's not, let alone the folks that have got guns there that can take you out at any moment. All our windows were blackened out and all of this. But listen, I was in total peace every moment of that time. There wasn't a danger in the world that any terrorist could have taken me out because I was in the hand of God at that time. And he made sure that all the resources of heaven were backing me up every moment of every day and every night because he was there with me. And so I went there in peace and came home in peace and will continue to do so. Why? Because God is committed to me as he is committed to you. He's committed to you as a church. I went to look at that building yesterday and wow, what a wonderful place. God is committed to you. There are no coincidences in the plan of God. God will make sure the right people are around at the right time so that favor can be stamped over your life. What a blessing it is that God will answer the prayers of this woman. Gave her everything that she desired. And of course, we don't know the future, what happened after that, but we know that he was, God restored everything to her. And that son will have, raised, will, will have had a new vision, raised up something new. So I want to challenge you this morning. The first thing I want to challenge is this. Those of you who are young, that's, that's always a difficult thing, but I mean under the age of 30. Those of you who are, are children, they'll be out in the children's church, but you're teenagers and those in their 20s. Listen, the potential for you in serving God is so much greater than the potential that I've had. I thank God for everything that he has done. I thank God for every miracle, for every act of provision. I thank God for every nation he's brought me to, every person who's found Christ. I thank God for it all. But I do believe that there is a new move of God coming across this, not just this nation, but the nations of the world. I believe there's a stirring coming like we've never seen before. I believe the move of the Spirit of God will come upon us in a way we've never seen before. Before God calls his church home, there's going to be one last harvest that's going to be incredible. And that God will come back into the school place, into the colleges, into the schools, but it's going to take young people who will stand up and say, I'm not afraid to be counted for this new harvest, this final harvest that will come. And I believe young people will see miracles. And we've, we talk about miracles. You know, if, some, if there is a, a tremendous miracle in a meeting, we'll talk about it for weeks and weeks and weeks. But I believe for our young people, that could become a daily experience for them to see answers to prayer. No fighting. The fighting's been done by other generations, but the, the answers to that prayer will come, I believe, for our young people today. But let me challenge you as young people. Will you commit your life to God to serve him? Will you commit your life to serve? I'm going to ask you to stand, if you will, before I just move on. Any young people? Not, not everybody, just the young people. I'll get to the older ones. I know, I know you're, uh, listen, be patient with me, please, because I know, I know, I know that, that, that those of you who are in your 30s and 40s and 50s, I know you're just as young mentally. I listen, the first lady I brought to Ghana with me in my first teams, I've probably told you this before, she, I don't know what age she is now, but she's about 70 then. And she was run over one time before she was to come to Ghana with me. She got run over by a car, stepped out between two cars in North Wales, and a car ran her down. So she wouldn't, still wouldn't stop. She came on her crutches in her 70s to Ghana. I couldn't believe it. But she said to me, she says, Kingsley, I'm 17. She says, just my body is, is older, but my, my spirit is 17. I still feel like a seven. So I know those of you who are older still feel younger. It's just the body ages a wee bit. But you young people, you could see things happen in your lives. If you're willing to serve God, you'll see things happen that I dream about. But that doesn't cause me any concern at all or any feelings like, I, I, see, I am involved in it because you need the older people and the middle-aged and the younger people. It's one team. We, I love in, in, in Hebrews chapter 11 where it talks about the heroes of faith. It says, none of them received what they believed God for. None of them, only together with us would they be made perfect. And so you need me. 
And I need you. You need your pastor. You need your leaders. You need your children. You need your young people. We all need each other. But when we serve God, God will do something new for your young people who will serve God. Let's lift your hands to the Lord. Let's pray for a moment. Those of you who are older, gather around them. Would you just gather around them for a moment? And let's just make this a time of commitment for our young people to serve God. Is that all right? Just let, let's, let's, let's do that and... and uh, Just pray for them for a moment. Father, we just commit our young people to you. Thank you for them, Lord. Thank you that they're mighty, mighty army of God. And I just pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray for a new anointing over them today. I pray, Lord, release something new in them today. Holy Spirit, come and fill them in a new way today and release something more of your power and your fullness in their lives. Lord, you said that streams of living water would flow from within on that last day of the feast. And I pray, God, that for our young people, stir up something new in their lives, God. Stir up something new in their spirits so that, Lord, there'll be some new expectancy, levels of belief and faith that they will have that we didn't have. God, I pray, use them for greater measures, Lord, than we ever experienced. Let them see greater miracles. Let them see more people come to Christ. Bless them in their colleges and their schools. Bless them at their place of work. Make them, Lord, I pray, a riotous lot, Lord, who will really fight for God and who will not be afraid to open their mouths. Let them never stay silent, God. When it comes, I pray, to serving you. So bless them today. We release them, Lord, for something new today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now sit down again for a moment. Yeah, yeah, bless bless the Lord for our young people. The second thing I want to do is this. If there's anybody in this place and you don't know Jesus Christ and you need to know him, I want you to stand to your feet. If there's anybody, I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up. I'm not going to ask people to close their eyes. This is, this is a call to, to marching orders. And maybe everybody is this morning. But is there anybody here this morning who doesn't know Jesus and needs to know him? I want you to stand to your feet and we'll pray with you that God will really come into your life. Is there anybody? If there's not, I'll move on. That's fine. Is there anybody here this morning you need to know Jesus in your life? Just stand to your feet. Thank you. Thank you. It's a brave thing to do to stand in front of all your friends and family and people. God acknowledges that. Sometimes it needs to be done openly. Thank you. I wonder could we have someone just to go and stand with her? One of the ladies just to stand with her. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Maybe we could all pray this prayer this morning. Listen to me, folks, before we pray. Let's look at me for a moment. Listen, you don't know the prayer that's gone into this. You don't know the pain that's gone into making this moment happen right now. Just pray this prayer with me. You make it your prayer, please. Lord Jesus Christ, I stand before you this morning, and I need you. Please come into my life today. I want to thank you for dying for me. I want to thank you. You gave your life for me. Please cleanse my heart from sin. Wash me completely. I'm saying sorry. Come and live in my life. I commit myself to you. I want to be a child of God today. And I thank you, Lord. Come and fill me with your Holy Spirit. And help me to live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. Just one last thing before I I hand back to Philip. Just one last thing. I just wonder this morning, when I shared about Elisha in the room on his own, and he had to get on that, he had to get on that uh, bed and, you know, the confusion, the challenge, all of that. It was such a big thing for him. I just wonder, is there anyone here this morning? And you need to, you know, God's speaking to you. You need to see new life breathed into what you once did, into not necessarily a ministry, but into the way your life was, the way you serve God. You need to be stretched on that once again. I wonder, would you want to stand to your feet as well? And we'll pray. Is there anybody this morning? Thank you. Thank you. 
Praise God. Just lift your hands to the Lord as we pray and commit ourselves to him. You know, I'm in here, I'm out again. I just want to be obedient to what God is saying. But sometimes he uses people to come in and come out and just to be that little injection into to some commitment that you need to make. So, fathers, we stand before you this morning. Lord, we want to stretch ourselves out on that ministry once again. Forgive us, Lord, if we've run from the call. Oh, Lord, that we could give reasons. We could write down a letter to you of reasons of why we have. And they seem very reasonable. But listening to you this morning, God, the reasons really, they're not valid. And so we present ourselves to you again this morning and say, Lord Jesus, please cleanse us. Please forgive us for running from our call. Wash us thoroughly this morning with your precious blood. And Lord, I pray as we spend time with you and as we figuratively fight upon that body once again, let us feel the warmth as we felt this morning. Lord, I pray we'll hear the sneezes. And that boy will get up and raise once, be raised once again. And we'll run with you once again and serve you once again. Father, help each one this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name. And I pray for this fellowship, Lord. I pray for, for Pastor Philip and Kelly. And I just pray your blessing on every leader in this place. And God, I pray, Lord, as they move into new days and an era with you. Lord, let this always be a rescue place. Let this always be a place where people will be welcome, as Philip said earlier on, to be wrapped in the arms of love. No condemnation, no necessity to measure up to any of man's requirements. But Lord, that we'll come and see broken people made new and whole once again. So Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, bless the recovery group. Lord, bless each ministry. Bless the young people's groups and the children's groups. Bless each study that's done. Bless the Wednesday night meeting. Bless the services. Most of all, Lord, let it be a a place where your Holy Spirit is free to move so that people will find the Savior in this place. And so, Lord, we speak blessing, Lord, over HFLC this morning. Speak the blessing of God. May goodness and mercy follow this fellowship all the days of its life. And one day will dwell in your house forever. So we give you thanks and we give you praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.